Welcome back to the Global Digital Banker Podcast. This month, we have an exciting two-part Money 2020 Europe special, covering all of the thought leaders from the recent event in Amsterdam. In this week's episode, we caught out with Des McDade, Managing Director at Marcus at Goldman Sachs UK, Josh Bottomley, Global Head of Digital at HSBC, and Bill Guider, SVP for Innovation and Strategic Partnerships at Visa. Kicking off, Des details the success story behind reaching over a quarter of a million user accounts within the first eight months of operations at Marcus, how they are standing out from other savings accounts, and what other products Marcus is looking to launch next. Today I am joined by Des McDade, Managing Director for Marcus in the UK. How are you, Des? Hi, I'm really good, thanks. So today we're going to be talking about the Marcus proposition. It's just been over eight months since launching in the UK. What's the journey been like so far? Well, I mean, to be honest, it's been an amazing journey. We started on the 27th of September. Um, the business you know, launched like a rocket. Um, we opened 13,000 accounts on our first day. Um, the amount of coverage we got around our launch was just phenomenal. And that went on. I mean, within two weeks, we'd had 50,000 accounts. I think 37 days we've had 100,000 accounts um, and then we're, you know, we've passed 250,000 accounts now in eight months. But I think what's been really sort of exciting for us is just the actual customer response to the proposition. So not just the fact that we've been offering a great rate to our customers, but actually they've told us about how much they value the brand, the account opening process, how fast we've made the, the sort of movement of money. We just made it easy and simple. That's what we set out to do, and that's what our customers have told us to do. I think that's just been really sort of gratifying and humbling, really. Mm, having that customer-centric approach. Yeah. Your background's been in retail banking. Yeah. So what have you been able to bring from that experience um, into this proposition? So I think when I got the call to actually join Goldman Sachs, yeah. it, was, it was quite a shock because it was like, well, you know, an investment bank, this is not a, a retail right. banking um, operation, but it actually launched in the US um, just around the same time as they were approaching me. So I knew a little bit about their proposition. It was quite exciting. They, they actually had a, an idea of actually having people from Goldman Sachs and also people from the industry coming through, but not just from retail financial services, but also from retailers and customer organizations like Facebook, like Google, people who've actually done things from a digital point of view, a retail banking point of view, and also from the investment banking point of view. And putting those skill sets together was really, really good. So I think... Me coming in, you know, I've had a fairly long career in retail banking, so I've been in the sort of like the peaks and the troughs of the different cycles. But I've also been in digital banks, mainstream banks, private banks. So I've, I've had quite a wide range of experiences with customers. And my background is really retail marketing. So I think developing propositions, developing customer experiences, communicating that to customers, finding out what they want. That's what I thought I'd bring to the sort of... Um, the business mm. and it, it has been incredibly successful so far you mentioned that the number of new customers yeah. you have within the first few days weeks months yeah. so beyond leveraging that really powerful brand that is Goldman Sachs what else do you think has attributed to the, the success so far so, so the interest rate is a, a key attractor of the product if you look at what we did, we set out with our customers. So before we launched, we actually interviewed something like 10,000 customers. And we asked them, you know, what do they want in savings? Why people weren't talking about savings? And it was actually quite interesting because the moment people start talking about savings, you could see their eyes start to droop, their sort of faces drop. They were, they were just like, oh, really? Like, you know, this is like, you know, not interesting. 
And it was like, why isn't this? This is your money. You, you worked hard for it. And it really was. People had lost interest in savings. So they said, they weren't interested. Banks weren't talking. You know, when was the last time you saw a savings advert from a bank? You know, it, just, yeah. it was almost like the forgotten product. Mm-hmm. Um, and people had kind of lost interest in it. So we, so we literally set out with, how can we put the interest back in savings? How can we put it back onto the agenda? And they talked about simplicity. They talked about products that weren't transparent, products that were really confusing. It was almost, why does it have to be so complicated? Why to get this product, I have to sacrifice, I can't access it, or I can only take it out on the third yeah. Wednesday of the month. There's all these bits of nonsense that actually banks were creating. Always have a good deal, but actually then there's all these downsides to it. Or complications, and how are you going to keep yeah. track? Yeah, like, can I withdraw it out today, or do I have to wait another week? So yeah. I said, if I don't do it on the first of the month, I've lost something, or I can't do it again for another part. We yeah. needed to make that simpler. And I think for us, the real success of us has been around making a really simple, clean proposition that people can buy, that they can understand, that they can, you know, in an elevator, they can understand it in two or three seconds. Mm-hmm. They get it. It's a great deal. You can move your money when you like. You can start from a pound. You can open it in a few minutes. That's it. There is nothing else to the product. You manage it online. It's just really easy and simple. Mm-hmm. And that combined with the great brand, so people would recognize what we're doing and a great value proposition in terms of a good, strong interest rate, that's what's made it fly. Mm-hmm. And there's been in the last few years across the UK the rise of neo banks and challenger banks. So when it comes to savings accounts, you, you kind of touched on it there in terms of there is a lot out there, it hasn't really been a focus product for banks. What are you seeing across the broader landscape? Have you seen that shift in the last, say, six months? So I think that the neo banks are really interesting in terms of they're doing some fantastic work in customer experiences and meeting certain customer needs. Um, what none of them have really done yet is from a savings point of view, uh, this is from, from my opinion, but mm-hmm. from, a, from a savings point of view, I think their balance sheets don't allow them to really be out there for a long period of time. So, you know, and they also focus more on the term deposit market, so fixed term savings. And that means that they compete in those products. They're not really competing in easy access where you can move your money quickly, you can start on small amounts of money. They want single lump sum deposits they only want a small amount so you see them appear on the top of a best buy table they last a week two weeks even three weeks and then they're gone some of them last hours and even days in terms of that because their funding needs are quite smaller and i think that they struggle from a balance sheet point of view to really compete in the savings market what they are doing though is actually showing us a lot of ways to actually engage with our customers and to create really good experiences and that's what we've been learning from at the moment in the savings space Wonderful. And I know there's been lots of talk about what's next for, for Marcus in the UK. The US brand offering loan products. So is there anything you can share about what we can Yes. So in the US we have savings loans and a um, personal financial management tool which is currently branded with Clarity Money. Mm-hmm. That's looking after something like 4 million customers in the US across those products. So it's been really successful in terms of what we've done. I think for the UK, you know, our main focus is building out our savings business. Um, you know, we're eight months old, we still have a lot to do. We don't offer joint accounts at the moment, we don't offer cash ISAs. I would like to do more within our, our savings business. But we're definitely going to then move on um, and open more products. And whether that's loans, whether that's actually an investment or wealth offering, we're still making those decisions in terms of what will happen. Um, but watch this space, and I think in the next sort of 12 to 18 months, you'll see more things from the UK. Exciting. Well, Des, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks very much, Adele.
Up next, Josh from HSBC explains their cloud-first strategy across digital innovation, a big bank perspective on how to successfully roll out new technologies across a large institution, and the fintech partnerships that HSBC are looking into at the moment. I'm joined by Josh Bottomley, Global Head of Digital at HSBC. Josh, you've just come off stage. Welcome. Thanks, Adele. So your panel was discussing digital innovation and how HSBC is playing in that in a huge way, obviously. So can you share with the listeners what the panel discussed? Yeah, as a panel, we actually had a great conversation because we had some people from Amazon, from Ripple, MasterCard, and then a couple of us from, from banks. And we were talking about innovation. Actually, at the start, there was a big agreement. We were all agreeing innovation isn't something different. It's what the businesses need to do. The interesting stuff is how do you do that? How do you do more of it? How do you do it faster? Definitely. So in terms of the HSBC digital banking platform, can you share where it was at when you started with the bank, where it is now? Yeah, so for HSBC, we're in a very different place to where we were two or three years ago. We've now got some platform components that can work. So whether it's the security platform we're rolling out, whether it's a mobile front end, whether actually it's our digital services that manage the APIs to the legacy systems, um, we can now do that. And what's really different from where we were before, a couple of things. One, we are cloud first in the strategy. So I'm not saying everything's yet on the cloud, but we're moving in that direction and we've got some uh, live services. And secondly, because we're in 37 retail markets, it's not a case of everyone having to take everything on the platform one now. So we're now, you know, it's the cliche to talk about microservices, but we can give a lot more flexibility in each of our countries to take most of the journeys or the features, but if there's a particular payment system in that market or a particular partnerships that we've got, we can accommodate. And that's new. We weren't able to do that previously. So still adapting to each of those local markets, I guess, instead of a global rollout. Yes, we can adapt to the markets and and how we compete. So one of the things that people don't always realize or think about for HSBC, so we're in 37 retail markets, but actually in most of those, we're not competing domestically against mainstream competitors. We are serving a relatively international audience. So if we get this platform right, and this isn't just the technology, this is also the business requirements, we ought to be able to become a really effective challenger bank in some of those markets if we can get our customer proposition right. Mm. So you mentioned earlier innovation. It's really about how things can be rolled out in a quick and efficient manner. So in terms of being the world's seventh largest bank, How do you even go about approaching how to roll out those new technologies globally in such a quick way and adapt to these ever-changing technologies? So I think our innovation or the way in which we work differently comes in three different areas. Mm -hmm. So clearly, locally, we need to be very close to our customers and what they want, who we partner with, what the regulatory environments are, and how we do that. At the other extreme, we've got a bunch of activities like our labs, uh, we have an investment fund, uh, we've got all of our actual product teams, and we talk about Horizon 3, what can we do in the future. But in a way for the bank, the most important thing is the execution of getting it done. Actually, the, where we can be most innovative is how we operate as a bank. How do, we, how do we better manage all these changing regulatory requirements, the new forms of cyber threats, um, how we operate our platforms differently? Because if we do that, we will be quicker, faster, cheaper, 
and that will benefit our customers and it will make us a better partner with fintechs and other businesses as well. Mm. And no doubt you get a number of organizations approaching you for partnerships and looking to really leverage HS Brucey's brand. So how do you identify who best to partner with? Who's going to add most value to you as a bank and also your customers? So the first thing I'd say is we want to partner. I mean, as HSBC, we would love to be the place that a fintech that's created a new form of robo-advice or a better user experience or a payments vehicle, I'd love them to think HSBC is the partner I want to work with to take that service internationally or globally. Because we can. We've got the banking license. We can make it work. So we are definitely open for business in that sense, and we've got some great examples. What really, um, I think, matters for those partners is they're very clear either about which customer problem or internal um, customer issue they're trying to fix and how they are fixing that differently to how we would otherwise do it. So, for example, um, if most of our work in certain areas on the API, someone could create a front-end experience, but if they say the APIs comes down to us, we're not benefiting that much. If they've already built APIs into a bunch of industry-standard payments vehicles or somewhere, somewhere else, then it's much easier for us to take advantage of that and integrate it. So it's a it's a sense of a very clear pain point they're solving, a very clear view of how they're doing it, and actually thinking through some of our integration challenges and what that would take. Okay. From a cultural perspective as well, digital, there's such a, a change there that does need to be driven internally. How is the, the workplace changing in terms of this continued movement to digital banking operations and customer servicing even? Well, I guess, and it's a bit of a cliche now, isn't it, that the digital banking is not about beanbags and ping pong tape. Um, we, we've been through that phase and we still have some beanbags, but that's not really what it is. I think the sense, what's interesting to me of coming into banking you know, from Google, but also from other businesses, is how much cross-functional working, genuine cross-functional working, as in different people with a common purpose, is still relatively new in the banking industry and that is is what is starting to happen so at HSBC now we're taking some of our digital ways of working and we're broadening that not just with for example our digital risk group but actually some of the full risk functions how do we bring in the people who actually own some of the 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 back-end systems fully to embrace that more agile way of working and it's not agile with a big capital A it's a more iterative project management approach to solving the problems but at the same time we have to recognize that we are looking after people's money. It is about trust. It's about the security. And therefore, there is a level of governance and support that we still need to maintain. So I think it's, it's more people coming into the umbrella as about how we're working, but with a, a construct that is still, in our case, a bank. And then where to next? Well, we're seeing, we're certainly putting in a lot of effort into machine learning, artificial intelligence and again a lot of that is about the data how do we provide data from third parties new internal signals that feed the models I think there's a lot of change still in the KYC data and credit assessment so how do you make it easier if someone decides they want to take out a product that we can um, manage that and the third big category for us is conduct we are very um, active in looking at potentially vulnerable customers at customers who maybe don't always make the right financial decisions for themselves and how we can then help them with respect to that. And then there are quite a lot of, as ever, because we're HSBC, international customers for whom it's still not easy enough to get a credit card when they move country and move these areas. So I think those those are some of the areas that we're looking at and certainly with partners and other services as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure, Josh. Thanks, Adele. Enjoyed it. 
Next, Build from Visa shares some exciting news around a new proposition for the fintech community, feedback from fintech partners so far, and also identifies the biggest opportunities in payments for the year ahead. I'm joined by Bill Guider, SVP Innovation and Strategic Partnerships from Visa. How are you? Very well, how are you? Well, thanks. So we're here in the Visa Lounge at Money 2020 Europe and everything's kicking off day one. It's been busy already. You've got sessions coming up tomorrow. There's been some pretty exciting news that's been announced this morning. So what's the news? Yeah, so today we announced that a group of companies have come together, including companies like Visa and GPS and others, to provide really fintech in a box for early stage companies that want to get those first cards into the market to test their new consumer propositions. So without this consortium, these small companies that really just wanted to focus on consumer experiences might have had to go to four or five separate companies to get their payment solutions organized. They probably had to um, sign several different contracts. Some of these startups don't really know the payments industry very well and they're looking for advice in, in, in addition to a platform. And so we've created Beyond with these partners where it's one stop. They can come in in a matter of weeks, get that first 100 cards, those first 1,000 cards, that first 3,000 cards into the market and really give them a jump start so they can see how that proposition is working in the market. Mm, and especially with the global reach that Visa has, giving them that expertise into launching into such a big market. No, exactly. In fact, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, The most successful of these small fintechs, whether they start in Europe or they start in Asia, soon have global ambitions. And you know, one of the advantages of working with Visa and our fintech program is it is global and we can help these companies as they do grow and look at other markets, let's say from Europe to the United States, to help them do that seamlessly. Wonderful. Since launching the, the fintech program last year, how have you seen that program develop as, I guess, the, the broader landscape has shifted with recent regulatory changes? Yeah, we, we've seen a bunch of growth. So the, the, the program, the fintech program, as you mentioned, started about 18 months ago. Uh, we created a dedicated team. We took a look at everything from our, our, our pricing, our rules, card design, um, a specialized business development team, um, sales teams throughout the region, and really created a bespoke fintech program that was really targeted at these startup technology-focused uh, issuers. We've now identified throughout Europe almost 300 opportunities, companies that are looking at uh, becoming issuing fintechs, and we've got sales teams you know, across all of our markets you know, that are focusing on them. And so the, the program has been very successful. In, in addition to that, the rest of Visa has taken the European program and created a global program. So there's similar fintech programs in every one of our regions. We work closely together as a global team because, as I said recently, a lot of these companies want to move from one region to the other. And so, you know, it's been a, a really tremendous focus from Visa and, and so far we're happy with the results. And it's been incredible the, the amount of competition in the market and, you know, organizations like yourselves that have so much history and backing behind them, really helping to support these newer players. Um, yeah. So what's been the feedback from the fintechs that you've worked with so far? Yes, I mean, so far, you know, very positive feedback. You know, obviously Visa as a global brand, all of these companies want a chance to work with Visa because, you know, we are global. You know, we, we bring a lot of experience uh, to the table. And now that we've got a program that's really focused on them, as opposed to more traditional financial institutions, which we're really good at, we've been doing that for 60 years, having a, a dedicated program that really understands that these companies are early stage, 
they're API and digital natives, right? They want to move quickly. Um, so we've had to develop this new speed and this new muscle. And I, so far, as I said, the results have been very positive. Great. And then at Money 2020, there's always new buzzwords, new technology that's announced among everything else. So what what do you think, from a visa perspective, are going to be the, the biggest new things in payments over the next 12 months? Yeah, so I, I look at it a, a few ways. I mean, first of all, I think there's still... We're very early phase in, in business to business payments. Visa has primarily focused for 60 years on consumer payments at the point of sale, and then for the last 20 years, consumer payments at an e-commerce or now a mobile commerce site. There's still a lot of growth potential in business to business payments. There's things like foreign exchange, uh, enhanced travel experiences, person to person payments, social payments, and then continuing to, to build the acceptance footprint. So if you decided to open a business or if I wanted to pay my, my gardener with uh, with a phone, that we're gonna be able to do that because everybody will be able to accept a visa payment on a, on a regular mobile phone. And there's a couple of companies that are doing that here uh, this year. So I'd say that there's still a tremendous opportunity um, for payments and money 2020 continues to grow. Even in Europe, as developed as this region is, there's still a lot of cash in the markets. You know, there's still a lot of new payment experiences. And as we just talked about FinTech, there's literally hundreds and hundreds of new companies that, that want to play in the space. And so it's an exciting time for payments. Definitely allowing every type of customer, whether they be consumer or SME, have that opportunity to tap into all forms of payments for all different reasons. No, exactly right. Whether it's things, I mean, and you'll see them here if you walk around the show, things like point of sale, lending or alternative lending models or underwriting models to small and medium enterprises that have had limited access to capital. As I said, continuing innovations on the point of sale. There's going to be a lot of talk about how artificial intelligence or virtual reality or um, cryptocurrencies are starting to, to come into the payments area. So, you know, there's the, a lot of exciting themes here at the show. Wonderful. Phil, thanks so much for your time and for being on the podcast. Not at all. Have a good show. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Stay tuned for part two of this Money 2020 Europe special. To listen to other episodes, head to iTunes or Spotify, or for more content on the podcast, head to globaldigitalbanker.com. 